Would you please remain standing as I read this morning's text from Revelation chapter 21. These are the words of John. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. When I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our kids can be dismissed at this time. There's programming down the hall for them. To the rest of you, thank you so much for being here at the 11 o'clock service at Community Christian Church. And to our Facebook Live people, uh, we had a little technical difficulty at the beginning, but I think you're up and running now. So um, we're glad that you are here too and thankful that you stuck around through those technical difficulties. So um, thank you very much. We are building the case that you actually live forever. That's our series title. We've been in this a few weeks. You actually live forever. And the very first week, we talked about this idea that is implanted in us that life goes beyond this one. It's why the Egyptians built pyramids, right? Because we all have this conviction that this life is not all that there is. There's something else. And then Week two, we talked about the fact that science is really telling us that we live on after this life. People from all over the world are having experiences that continue to point to something beyond death. And when we investigate these testimonies, uh, we have lots of reasons to believe that they are true. Uh, The last couple weeks, we talked about then Christianity also claims that we live on. Uh, And so we talked about uh, the last two weeks, can we trust Christianity? Can we, can, can we with uh, logical, rational plausibility look at what the Christian message is and say, yes, that's true? And we looked at uh, something called the apologetics pyramid. We climbed that for a couple weeks, and that helped us to conclude that Christianity is true and its message cannot be ignored. And one of the main messages of Christianity is that There is an invitation to live on after we die. Jesus says it this way, I am the resurrection of the life. If you believe in me, you will live on even after you die. Anyone who lives and believes in me will never die. That's the invitation. So if you dig into that just a little bit more, Christianity teaches that there's something waiting for us in this next life where we will never die. And we call that heaven. 
That's the word we use. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about heaven. And that's the invitation for us to live on. By the way, uh, those first weeks, if you missed them or if you want to revisit them, they're on our podcast. Uh, look, look through our church app. Um, the podcast is really easy to uh, reach. And it, it, you always learn something when you listen to something the second time. And uh, that's why we put podcasts out there. And you'll, you'll spend your time well uh, to go through things a second time and learn something new. Douglas Murray is a prolific humanist writer. He's a, a social critic who has authored a couple of best-selling books. And he's in the odd position of being a self-professed non-believer. In other words, he's an atheist. But he also has a great respect for Christianity, and especially for the positive role that it has played in producing Western civilization. And so he's so sympathetic to Christianity that he actually calls himself a Christian atheist, okay? He doesn't believe, but he believes in what we do. And so he was on a recent podcast, and the uh, host asked, why why don't you just believe in God? I mean, you're doing everything that a Christian does. Why don't you just believe in God? And he said, well, I, I find it genuinely dif difficult to accept certain aspects of the Christian argument, and I don't think that belief can be faked or forced. And so they went on with a discussion, and finally the host kind of said, what, what would it take? What would it take for you to return to faith in God and Christianity? Because he had it once, and he lost it, and and Murray said, I think I'd need to hear a voice. The host said, literally, like, are you talking a voice from beyond? And he said, yes, literally, that's what it would take, a voice from beyond. In our text today, there's not one voice, there's three. And they are all echoing to us from beyond this life. And I think it's really ironic that a guy like Murray asks for voices from beyond the grave when that's exactly what we have in Revelation chapter 21. And all of these voices speak of the heaven that is to come, what it will be like, why it's true, and why it's possible. And so, um, latest statistics tell us that 84% of Americans believe in heaven. 84%. That's a lot of people to get on the same page. I mean, try to get 84% of people to agree on anything. If you can succeed, you can be president, okay? You can rule the globe. But the same 84% of people that said, yes, I believe in heaven, also said this, I don't know what's heaven, what heaven is really going to be like. There's a book by David Crowder called, uh, Everyone Wants to Go to Heaven, But Nobody Wants to Die. And that's where we are, right? And here's my theory. I, I think that we don't have a clear picture of what heaven will be like. And so even though we know it's probably the place that we should be, we're kind of leery about it. And that comes up in our attempts to describe heaven. I want you to think about the last movie that you watched that had a scene that took place in heaven. How did they tackle that scene? Uh, probably... There were lots of fluffy white clouds. Probably there were some golden gates or golden streets and, and, and the fluffy white clouds, you know. Maybe there were in the corner some weird dancing tacos as if heaven was a drug-induced, you know, trip. And, and if there are people, there are people in one main space, right? 
and everybody's in white, and everybody's singing and dancing in the middle of the fluffy white clouds, and the Backstreet Boys are leading, because obviously, right? Um, and they have wings and halos, and uh, I mentioned the fluffy white clouds, right? And most of us look at an image like that, or we think about it, and we say, that's un unlike anything I'm used to. I, I, don't, I don't wear that. I don't dance. I don't sing. Fluffy white clouds are something that I look at, not things that follow me around. Dancing tacos scare me. And on top of that, uh, you know, how many rounds of everybody, bum, bum, how many rounds of that can you do? Like one, one, that's the answer, okay? And if that's heaven, I don't, I don't know. I don't know about that. And so whether we are a Christian or not, we, we recognize, 84% of us say, yeah, we want to go there, but we're hesitant at the same time. We recognize that heaven exists. We know it's clearly a better option than the alternative, but we can't articulate why. And so all we can come up with is cheesy pictures of what heaven must be like that fall way short. We know that heaven is important because Jesus spoke of mansions. He spoke of preparing a place for us. And yes, I want to go there. But here's the rub, it doesn't have anything to do with the next seven days. And Dusty, I've got to go to the DMV with this week, and, and, and I've got to renew my license, and I've got groceries to think about, I've got all kinds of other things to think about. Heaven, come on, heaven is out there, heaven is later, heaven is after, heaven doesn't have anything to do with my life today. And I think our common problem is that we have disconnected tomorrow's heaven from our life today. And I'm going to show you today that the, I think there's a price for doing that. And so when we understand, maybe for the first time, or maybe we remind ourselves of what the Scripture teaches us about eternity, it not only gives us a greater and grander vision for eternity itself, but it also gives us a greater and grander vision for the next seven days. And so, I want to show you why that's true, and to do so, we're going to listen to those voices in the text today. The first voice is the voice of the Apostle John. Uh, the year is about 95, 96 AD, and the Apostle John has a vision. Um, John was a younger disciple of Jesus when he followed him, uh, probably a teenager, and he lives into his 90s. And so, this is maybe 70 years after Jesus has left the earth, and John finds himself, because of his faith, exiled on the island of Patmos. It's in between um, Greece and Turkey, little island, and while he is there, he's given this grand vision of the life to come, of heaven, and he writes it all down in the book in your Bible called Revelation, and he shares with us some specific things about heaven. First, the voice of John tells us that heaven is a real place. He sees with his own eyes an objective, tangible, physical city, real bricks, real buildings, rivers and trees and walls and gates and roads. He writes over and over in Revelation, then I saw, and in Revelation 21 that we just read, he uses this term again, and we'll use some umbrella terms for all the things that he saw, just a few of them. Number one, he saw newness, verse 1 and 2 and 5. He says, I saw a new heaven 
and a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. That's, a, that's the city of God. And I heard a voice from the throne. This is God Himself saying, I am making all things new. Everything about this place will be new. I want you to think about the last new thing that you recently took out of a box. There's a big thing on YouTube, social media right now about unboxing things, right? That's just a thing. People put these videos together. People like to watch things being unboxed. Why is that? It's because all of us love to peel that protective film off of whatever it is and be the first one, right, to touch the glass or whatever it is. That's what heaven will be like, absolutely new. John says, there's not only newness there, but then I saw relationships. Verses 1 and 2, the new Jerusalem is coming down like a bride who is prepared for her husband. That's the picture of a wedding. And that picture gives us this idea that we will have a marriage type of closeness with God and with each other. Um, one of the things that John points out in this little text is that there's no more sea. There's no more oceans. If you think about what an ocean does, it divides people. It divides us. We, we are separated into continents and lands and people. And what John is saying is that that kind of division will no longer be a part of this world in heaven. And it's an indication of the togetherness that we will have. We will be different, right? We'll be ourselves. We won't be clones of everybody else. We will be ourselves. And so there will be different people in heaven, but we will not be divided people. Relationships will matter just like they do right now on earth, but nothing, think about this, nothing will be in the way of having a good relationship with any person. Think of all the barriers that exist right now between you and other people, and imagine if they were gone. So John says, I saw newness, I saw relationships, and then he says, I saw a city. Uh, he calls it a holy city. Holy just means consecrated or dedicated to God, and it, said, it tells us that in this city there's no sin. That's what it means. All of those things that make it hard to live a righteous life right now. Maybe there's temptation, maybe there's pressure from other people, maybe you have... Uh, heard distorted values all around you. Maybe, maybe Satan himself is a voice in your head, not in heaven. This is a place where sin is done away with. Sexuality and materialism and competition and fame, all of those high value things that our society, uh, you know, they put on the top rung are, are gone. And how much better will that be? I mean, we can sin really easily on our own, right? But think about, about how much more righteous you would be without those negative voices in your life. Satan will not be there to put sinful ideas into my head to begin with because heaven will be absent of all of those kind of influences. And so John's the first voice. And over above everything, he says, heaven is a real place. Here's the second voice. There's a, a voice that speaks up from the throne. We don't really know who it is. It's not John and it's not God because God's going to speak in just a second. And so it must be an angel from the throne. That's what we can deduce. And from the throne, the angel tells us that heaven is your home. Heaven is your home. 
He says, the dwelling place of God is with man. The home of God is with man. That word for home is tabernacle. It means tent. If we go all the way back in the Old Testament, we read that God always wants to dwell with His people. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be my people. God wants to be with us, but the barrier has always been sin. God couldn't walk and talk with people like He had with Adam and Eve because sin came into the world. And so, in the Old Testament, he set up in the desert for the Jewish people, he set up a tabernacle. It was a tent, and it was actually called the Tent of Meeting. It was one of its names, and Moses would go, and he would meet with God in the Tent of Meeting. Later, Solomon would come along, and he would build a permanent temple, not a tent, but a temple of stone where God would dwell. But sin is still a barrier, and God can only go to the innermost place because of sin, and to the innermost place, only the high priest could go in, and then only once a year, and then only if the high priest was wearing an OSHA-approved safety rope. They actually did that. They tied a rope around the ankle of the high priest in case he passed out or had a heart attack while he was in there seeing God, so they could pull him back out if something happened. There was no way to meet with God. But then Jesus came. Jesus, the lamb, is sacrificed and dies, and the veil of that inner place in the temple is torn in two, and now every one of us has access to God through Jesus Christ. At the end of his life, Jesus will ascend into heaven, and the Holy Spirit will come, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside each and every one who trusts in Jesus. And so now we have this relationship with God. We can walk and talk with Him, but in this life, it's still it's still hard to, to fine-tune that signal, isn't it? There's a lot of static going on. There's too many distractions in this life, but in heaven, not that way. His tabernacle, His tent is now among His people, and He will be with us again, like it was in the beginning with Adam and Eve walking and talking with us, clearing away our tears and our sorrow and our pain, and sin and death will be gone forever. We really will be with Him again. But it gets even better. There's this great line in Revelation chapter 7 where John gets a vision of all of the people who have washed their robes in the great tribulation. They've made them white in the blood of the Lamb, which is Jesus. And, and the line is this. The angel says to John, therefore, these people are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night. And He who sits on the throne, that's God, will shelter them with His presence. The word shelter is exactly the same word that we've been talking about. The, the root word means dwelling place. It means to set up a tent. And so, what is God doing in heaven? He's setting up a tent, except this is one amazing tent. Not only will we be with God in His presence, but literally God's presence is what we will live in. And so, we can rightly say it this way, heaven is a place where God will be our home. God Himself will be our home. God's light and His love will infuse everything in this place. And because of this, heaven will be the home that you'll always long for, but never quite had. We've talked some in this series about uh, near-death experiences and 
uh, one of the common things that people who have these experiences share is their description of Jesus. They describe Jesus as pure love, but also a love that would run towards them and embrace them and value them no matter what, and somebody who simply wants them home. And home is the word that they use over and over because of this love that they find in Jesus. They say, I was home. I was where I belonged. I wanted to be there more than I had ever wanted to be anywhere on the earth. We all want to be home, but we never have a home on this earth that completely satisfies us. C.S. Lewis said this, said this, that if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, then the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. This world is unbelievable at times, and yet we still see its insufficiency all the time. There's always something in even the best things in life that, that isn't quite like it should be, and we can never quite put a finger on it or solve it. We just always think that there should be something more, and all of that is a reminder that we're just not home yet. This earth is not our true home. Heaven with God, won for us by Jesus, is the home that we were meant for. And so the voice of John says, heaven is real. The voice of the angel says, heaven is home. And now the voice of God is going to pipe up, and God speaks himself. The one seated on the throne will tell us that heaven is ready. Heaven is ready. God says, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am the Alpha and Omega. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet, and it means that God is first and last, and He's everything in between. And then also think about, I am the Alpha and Omega. I am is something that maybe you've heard before. It takes us way back to the Old Testament where Moses is seeing and meeting God. God is in a burning bush, and God is saying, I want you to go deliver my people. And Moses finally gets around to, well, okay, I'll go, but who do I say sent me? Because I don't know your name. What does God say? He says, tell them, I am that I am. That's my name. I am. And here in Revelation, I am the Alpha and Omega, and he also says, it is done. And the tense of that is everything. It's not a future tense, it's past tense, as in it's already accomplished. Heaven is already ready. In this life, uh, we are constrained by time, and so heaven for us is something that's out there. It's in the future, right? But God is outside of that time constraint, and for Him, heaven is already accomplished. It is done. Heaven is real, heaven is your home, and it's ready. It is done. And if it is done sounds familiar, it probably should, because it is finished sounds a lot like it is done. And those are the words that Christ spoke on the cross just before He died. What did He say? It is finished. His work of salvation for you, for me, was done. Everything was for once and for all accomplished for heaven to be a reality. And so here in Revelation, God is echoing what Jesus says from the cross. Now, this is complete conjecture on my part, but, I, but, but God is saying 
It is done outside of time. And Jesus said, it is finished on the earth within the boundary of time. So this is just my thought here. Does that mean, maybe, that when God says it is done in heaven outside of time, he's saying it at the very same moment that Jesus inside of time is saying it is finished? Now, I don't know. That's just one of those questions we'll have to ask when we get there. But how fitting would that be? Any way you look at it, heaven is complete. God, I am, promises that the thirsty will be quenched from the spring of the water of life. He promises that the victorious, the ones who have trusted in Jesus and have overcome, will be given life and sonship and a heritage. That's an inheritance. That's what we get. And so at the end of time, the mission Jesus finished on the cross enables everything in heaven to be complete. Heaven is ready for you. Don't pass by that truth flippantly, that heaven is ready for you today, because it might just be today that you go. Easier glory, was it? It was. Take uh, us back. It was difficult. Take it, I mean, you were run over by an 18 I was, I was. Uh, over in East Texas, I was on my way home from a Bible study or a pastor's conference to do a Bible study in Alvin, south of Houston. So I was about 130 miles away. It was a cold, rainy January day, and I got in the car. I'm headed home. I'm headed to my church, and uh, I was on a bridge I'd never been on before. And uh, before I got off the bridge, an 18-wheeler crossed the center stripe and hit me head on. Probably 110 miles an hour of impact. Uh, I was killed instantly. Uh, blunt force trauma, uh, brain damage, impaled on the steering wheel. Uh, the dashboard collapsed on my legs, my right leg broken at the knee, and the left leg was severed just above the knee. Four and a half inches of femur was ejected from the car and never found. I put my hand up when the truck was coming for me. At the moment, the truck ran over me, and it took my left arm into the back seat of the car. And from here forward was lying on the back seat of the car. So horrific accident. Um, there was nothing that could have been done to save me. Uh, they tried, met the paramedics. There were two other vehicles struck after my car. Vehicles of trucks and cars that everyone else was fine. So four paramedics worked on me. They did everything they could to try to revive me. And in spite of the best efforts, they were unsuccessful. So the body was covered up with a tarp. So they declared you dead. They, they declared me dead, all four of them, and they're waiting for a medical examiner to come and do the paperwork so the body can be transpa- transported for an autopsy, do an investigation about what happened to me. But the moment the truck struck me, uh, I was absent from the body. That was just an earth suit like the one you're sitting in right now. Um, I was in heaven. Uh, I was at one of the gates of heaven, surrounded by people I had known and loved in this life who had preceded me in death. And we were having a spectacular time. I wasn't even remotely interested about what's happening back down on the bridge. There were a lot of things happening on the bridge, but I was having the greatest reunion you could possibly imagine. So, I mean, these are real people, people you knew. Who'd you see, what they look like? Yeah, I started with my grandfather. Uh, he was standing there at the gate uh, facing me, and uh, he looked great. I mean, last time I saw him, he did not look great. Uh, he had a heart attack and died. I was with him when he had the heart attack. And um, it was just heartbreaking to, to, to be with him and watch him die, pass away, very close to him. 
I tell people all the time, I, I've broken virtually every bone in my body, and, um, and, it, and it hurt, but nothing hurts like a broken heart. And when he died, it broke my heart. A lot of you have a broken heart. I've met a lot today who are struggling with that. Met a lady just now, husband died three days ago. So a lot of you have broken hearts. Well, I understand what that it feels, but now I'm at the gate, and here's my grandfather standing in front of me, and he looks really, really good. If you want to look really, really good, heaven is where you want to be. <laughs> I mean, you look nice now, but he, he was even missing, because of his life of very hard labor, he, he was missing three fingers on one hand and two on the other, and he reached out to me and spoke verbally, and he said, welcome home, Donnie. Those were his words to me. This, that's what he used to call me here on earth, Donnie. And I looked out at the hands that used to hold me when I was a little boy. And all of his fingers were there. I'd never seen them before. He was really kind of ageless. He was perfect, fully recognizable as, as himself, but in a beautiful and perfect kind of way. I, he obviously knew I was coming. Everybody did. Uh, you don't sneak up on heaven. Everybody up there knows it's coming. <laughs> Uh, well, of course they do, because the Bible says when we give our heart to Jesus, when we trust Christ as Savior, our name is automatically inscribed on a registration book up there called the Book of Life, the actual Lamb's Book of Life. So you, you want your name in this book, and we're, we're taking reservations this morning, this afternoon. <laughs> um, I'm serious. I mean, I, if you can get killed on, on the way to church to teach a Bible study, you can get killed at any moment. This is urgent. I was just 38. So here's Papa. My great-grandmother was beside him. She was a victim of osteoporosis. She was all slumped over in this life. I know it must have been painful. I never heard her complain about it. She wasn't missing fingers like Papa. She was missing teeth. She didn't have any teeth. Well, she had some, but they were what she called store-bought teeth. They were, <laughs> they were dentures. She did not like them. She did not wear them often, except to church on Sunday mornings. Um, my great-grandmother, Hattie, smiled at me. She was a good six inches taller at the gates of heaven because she was standing upright. And, of course, the most glorious thing happened when she saw me. She smiled at me, and it was the first time I ever saw her real smile. So everybody there was perfect. There's only one person in heaven with scars, and that's Jesus Christ, to remind us of how we got there. But none of those other people. You. I mean, you should have seen me back on earth. I mean, I look like I fell in a farm implement from the neck down. I've had 34 major surgeries to put me back together. I was told I would never walk again. If they were able to reattach the leg, I was told that this arm would just hang by my side if they were able to put it back on. But this is the arm, and this is my leg. So I believe God is still in the miracle business. But in heaven, I had no scars on me. That was perfect. You won't either inside or out. Well, what was that like? What, what did you feel like in your body? What did it feel like? You said your grandfather ended up hugging you. What, what does that feel like? Uh, uh, unspeakable joy. Uh, there really aren't any words for it. One of the most frustrating things about talking about heaven is we don't have earthly words to do it justice. But it was a great reunion. Papa knew I was coming. He embraced me. What a warm embrace that was. I mean, the last, really, literally, the last time I saw him, he was in a coffin, and I was, we were all devastated. Now he's perfect and blissful and joyful, and, and all these people, aunts, uncles, uh, some friends from high school who had died in tragic accidents themselves 
were over here to the side of me. My next door neighbor, Miss Norris, was over here. There were teachers there of a wide variety of people, such a variety that I was thinking to myself when I saw them, they didn't even know each other back here on earth. What would have brought them together to meet me at the gate? And I know I had several years to lay in a hospital bed to think about it. They all helped me get there. These are the people who took me to church when I was a little boy and didn't have any other way to go because my parents didn't go to church. Somebody had to take me. Miss Norris took me. Your next Mike, friend. Mike, my friend from high school that was killed when he was 18, he took me. Mm. He took me to church because I didn't have a driver's license yet. But he'd been going since he was a little boy and he wanted to make sure I got to go too. They met me at the gates. These are people who gave me Bibles. These are people who told me, well, they lived a Christian life in front of me so I knew how that life was supposed to be lived. So they influenced me for Christ. So I'm laying there in the hospital bed when I finally got to the point where I could think. And I thought to myself, why did the, oh, these are the people who helped me get there. And then I asked the question that I've asked everybody since, who are you going to greet? Hmm. Who's going to be there because of you? And I really, I asked God as I tried to recover, why you sent me back for this? Because I was, I was really in horrible shape physically, emotionally. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah, all the year, ways two, you can. Three years yeah, three years before I was fully and you, you still recover from stuff. Yeah, I still have a lot of stuff that doesn't work very well. But, you know, I got hit by a truck. Um, so I'm, <laughs> you know. But, I, you know, I can get from point A to point B. Yeah. I, I still answer the bell when it rings. Um, and I'm motivated by helping people understand that heaven is a real place and Jesus is the way to the place. And then you can have a more meaningful life here even if something terrible has happened to you. You can be bitter about it or you can be better by devoting your circumstances to blessing someone else. The voices today say this, heaven is real, heaven is home, and heaven is ready. And so there are a couple crucial questions for every one of us today. The first question is, are you going to be there? Are you going to be in heaven? Do you have your name written in the book? Have you accepted the, sal accepted the salvation that Jesus is offering you through faith? Have you come to him in repentance and baptism? You can make your reservation today, right? I love that way of thinking about it that John talked about. And the second question is this, if you have made that reservation, then who are you going to meet at the gates? When we get there, who will you get to welcome home to heaven? If when you get there, the people who had the voice of influence and helped you find Jesus will be there to welcome you in, then the opposite is absolutely true too. Then you will be on the welcoming committee for somebody. Who will that be? I sat down with uh, a few of our newest um, attenders Wednesday night, and um, one of our newest was sharing about her journey with Christ, and she just ended this way. She said, I love Jesus, and I can't wait for heaven, and I want to take as many people with me as possible. And let me tell you something. If she is true to that task, she's going to be very busy at the gates. What if it's like that for all of us. What if all of us were right there with her, really busy in heaven because we're just covering the welcoming parties? Not a bad job. Heaven's going to be 
this life together that we've always longed for. And so it makes sense to make sure that you're there, number one, and then that you take as many people with you as you can. While he was here on earth, Jesus claimed that the heart of God for all people, for you and for me, was that of a loving father who would do anything to have his kids come home. Uh, this is what Luke chapter 15 is all about in the parable of the, the prodigal son that goes off. And all the father wants is for this son to come back home. That's what God wants for you. This is the way Peter writes it. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. God wants you home. He wants you in this place where you're truly known and truly loved, surrounded by family and surrounded by friends. So number one, are you going? Number two, who's going with you? We're going to take some reservations today, and every day we take reservations, right? What about claiming your mansion in heaven today? All it takes is surrender. It takes bowing at the feet of Jesus in belief and repentance and baptism. Maybe you need to take that step today. We're going to sing. I want you to make sure that you're headed home, okay? Heaven will be better than you imagine, but it will also be sooner than you think. God, I thank you for the love you have for us, that you would do anything to have us home with you. And that anything meant offering your son on the cross to pay the penalty of sin for each one of us. And so may we accept that payment made on our behalf today. May it set us free so that we can travel home where we belong. And Father, as we travel, may we be arm in arm with others who need to get home soon. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray and worship today. And everybody says.